welcome to Let's Talk Law, the Law Careers podcast for students at King's College London. I'm Caroline Lindner, one of the careers consultants for the Dixon Poon School of Law. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Jade Williams Adadeji. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Jade graduated from King's in 2001 and went on to study the LPC at BPP. She qualified as a solicitor in 2004 and completed her training contract at SJ Berwyn, where she qualified into the real estate team. Jade remained at SJ Berwyn until she was two and a half years qualified, when she took up a position as an associate at Sydney Austin, where she has remained ever since. Jade is now partner and head of the real estate team at Sydney, and her practice covers all aspects of commercial real estate investment, mainly for private equity investors and lenders. Last year, Jade was awarded the Real Estate Lawyer of the Year Award at the Women in Business Law Amir Awards. And in addition, she's recognised as a next generation partner for commercial property investment in the Legal 500. And she's also been shortlisted as a finalist for Mentor of the Year at the Inspirational Women in Law Awards, the British Legal Awards and the Women Influence and Power in Law Awards. She was highly commended for this award at the British Legal Awards in 2021. Jade, very warm welcome to Let's Talk Law. Thank you very much for joining us today. Not at all. Thank you for having me. So very first question, which I tend to ask all of our guests. Why did you decide to study your law degree and why at King's? Once I decided I wanted to read law, I knew that I wanted to study at a leading university for the subject, frankly. Um, so obviously, you know, King's was on that list. Uh, I received offers from a few universities and the reason I chose King's ultimately was firstly because I decided I wanted to be in London. And secondly, I was actually convinced at the time that I wanted to be a barrister. Right. And the statistics that I read on King's were that um, you'd produced more barristers um, from a graduate perspective than the other universities that I was looking at. So I chose King's. Okay. And isn't that interesting that those statistics sort of help to inform and there'll be lots of people listening to this who would have read things about King's and and the subjects that they've studied. Um, so you clearly didn't go on to become a barrister and we'll talk about that a bit later on. But tell us about some of the highlights of your time at King's, whether they're academic or things you did in your extracurricular and personal um, personal life when you were with us. I have very fond memories of, of King's, uh, particularly the Strand, actually. Um, back then, the, the law library, we spent all of our time on Strand campus. We didn't have sort of separate buildings or anything. So I didn't do what a number of other people would have done who graduated after me, where they were sort of back and forth over Waterloo Bridge. Although I did live on Stamford Street in, in Halls in my first year and the friends that I that I met there, the people that I spent my time with, one of the things that I loved about it was that I actually didn't live with any other lawyers. I lived with people who were doing nursing and war studies and medicine. And what that meant was I had a really nice friendship group that was outside of my study friendship group. And I still have those friendships today. Um, it sounds a bit cliche, but, you know, they've sort of seen me through my my university years. I, I lived with nurses during my law school year when everybody else had to finish their, their law degree and were going off and 
and doing other things. My my immediate friendship group actually didn't go straight and do their LPC. So um, because of the way, you know, King's sort of really does bring people up in a, a, a campus mentality, I think, even though you're not in a campus university that you, you, you know, many of your other friends would be sort of dotted around the country. I do really feel like King's embraces that, even though you're in central London and you get to have the ability to have Covent Garden on your doorstep and, and all of those great things. Um, but I, I have, you know, very fond memories. Um, I spend a lot of my time these days going between the city and the West End seeing clients in, in Mayfair. And um, I'm always secretly smiling when I'm in a taxi driving past uh, driving past King's. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And uh, I don't know if you've been back with us um, since the Strand has been pedestrianised, but if not, it really has transformed that that's area. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So there's no there's no dodging the, uh, the very busy traffic anymore, which is uh, very good for people at King's. Um, so let's talk about the skills that you've taken from your academic studies and, and, you know, interested to know which ones you feel you've carried through to your professional life, because it's something that you perhaps you don't necessarily appreciate until you've had a bit of distance between the two yeah I think it's I think it's one of those things that you almost learn without realizing you're learning it which is you know actually probably something that you start to learn before you're at university because once you're going through all of your academic studies and doing your exam preparation to even get to university you have to learn time management, um, discipline, attention to detail, and actually those foundations that then lead you into really, you know, a, a very academic degree, um, reading things which are often concepts that are entirely alien to you up until that point. Um, the attention to detail that's then required when you go into practicing law is one of the most important things that you will ever have. So I think that reading law, reading a very, very academic subject um, ultimately helps you understand the importance of, of attention to detail, time management. Um, and, and those are probably the main things that, that get brought through into everyday now and, and still remain there. Um and I mentioned before that you, you clearly haven't gone down the barrister route because you're a partner and solicitor, but how did you approach exploring career options um, when you were, you know, doing your degree? What what sort of things did you do to help you to make those decisions? Um, I knew I wanted an analytical and quite intellectually challenging career. Um, I liked helping people. I liked solving problems. Uh, I wasn't particularly good at science, so I knew that I wasn't going to be a medic. Mm -hmm. And it suits my personality to have next steps planned, to be organised, to have a plan. I like making lists. Uh, and I liked analytical subjects. So I think I was sort of naturally drawn to law. I used to watch a lot of um, programs surrounding the law. I'd often read books about true crime, not that I had any intention of becoming a, a, a criminal lawyer, but was generally quite intrigued by, um, by the application of law. Mm. But 
for my A-levels, I chose subjects that were other subjects that if I hadn't chosen law, perhaps I would have read instead, such as, you know, politics and religious studies I, I did for A-level. Mm. So I think after, you know, quite a lot of research, it just became something that was, it, it ticked so many boxes for me. Mm. And then, like I said, I, I came to things think. I came to King's thinking that I wanted to be a barrister. Uh, I used to go to the public galleries of, of courtrooms and watch the cases and was very much in, in awe of, of the barristers. But I didn't actually understand really what it meant to be a barrister on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, and once I came to King's, I, you know, there were other people who knew barristers whose, you know, parents were barristers or they seemed to have way more of an understanding of of what was required and it all seemed quite natural to them. Mm. Once I understood more about the life and practice of a barrister, I realised that a career as a solicitor in the city was, you know, far more suited to me and to and to my personality. And and actually King's was great at helping me with that career education, if you like. I attended every law fair that that King's held. I even went to law fairs at at other universities in London, simply just to see whether or not the messaging was the same. Um, (laughs) That's dedication, Jade, I have to say. Yeah. Um, I went to, you know, law lectures, open days, um, talked with staff in the law faculty about the industry. Uh, I also worked as a legal secretary and a paralegal in my holidays at a high street firm local to um, where I grew up. And that that was, you know, partly to, you know, to earn an income in in those periods. But I I didn't I wanted as much experience as I possibly could get. And I, I knew that I wasn't going to be a high street solicitor, but frankly, anything that would allow me a greater into insight into the industry and and dealing with clients and and that sort of thing was was useful. Um, it did give me a great insight into delegation because I used to, I recall being handed like piles and piles of files and tapes filled with dictation back when people actually used tapes to dictate. Yeah. Um, and you know it, that taught me it can take ten seconds to ask for somebody to do something, but it might take an hour to actually do the task. So that very much taught me that clear delegation was was appreciated uh, when I was on the receiving end of it. Um, It also gave me a great understanding of exactly how different high street practices are to Mm. the the life in the city. And uh, I then did the sort of natural progression of applying to vacation schemes, filling out application form after application form which often feels like its own full-time job um did various back schemes and you know got a training contract and I suppose the rest is history yeah it sounds like you're quite forensic with your research which which again will ring true to many of our listeners but also I, I like the fact that you you know you were willing to to do anything that was going to give you a real insight into the world of lawyers and as you say what you were able to access at that time 
um, was what you were able to access and, and it, you made the most of it by the sounds of it. So you, we said earlier on you, you trained SJ Berwin. So what was your experience of that training contract? Because I think sometimes people are so focused on the back scheme, they sort of forget it's going to hopefully lead to a training contract. And that's that's another two years. So what was that like for you? I liked having the knowledge that I had a training contract. I mean, it it was comforting to me to know that I had the next couple of years planned out. I think it's, for me, it was the right mixture of hard work, steep learning curves, great mentors and friendships. I mean, the collegiality that you get amongst your, your peer group as trainees is it's a really quite special thing I think um, I am still close with people who I was a trainee with you could you know you you you're not all gonna stay in private practice you're not all gonna hit career milestones at the same time and people go and do all sorts of weird and wonderful things um, but that's what's great about you know law and a training contract is that people use it as a as a way to pivot in their careers if they decide they don't want to do that anymore. But it's such a great foundation um, for a variety of things, whether or not you've got a lifetime career in private practice or not. Mm. I mean, at the time, it was the only real route to qualifying. Um, obviously, things have changed. There are apprenticeships and various other, other routes now which are starting to give greater accessibility, which is, which is obviously a very good thing. Um, it also, it's, it's amazing when you read law to go into a training contract and learn that the practice of law is often very different to the academic study of law. Uh, you have to learn about the law firm as a business, learn about clients, learn about their businesses. And that's where you sort of start to learn by osmosis not just how to practice, but you start to learn and gain better um, awareness of, of, of what it is that you're doing for, for clients. And as a trainee solicitor, you have a place in what is sometimes a global law firm, and you have the ability to get the most from that position by understanding the wider context of the tasks that you're given they might may not seem particularly important to a you know a deal worth hundreds of millions but you're there and you're part of that team and you know learning to understand why certain decisions are taken in transactions or on you know litigation matters or regulatory matters and then you being part of that team offers clients such a valuable and targeted services that they the the training contract offers you such a a, a brilliant network not yeah. just in terms of people ability to access clients ability to access you know amazing standards of work but you are given um, lots of responsibility as well versus some of the people that you maybe have been at university versus you know where they might be in their 
in their career by the time you reach that stage. And more importantly, you know, some firms don't do rotational training contracts. I think most do. And you get to, you know, have a taste of, of various different practices. And that's such an amazing um, experience, considering that, you know, you're still learning. Um, but you're, you're a very important part of, of a team when you're a trainee. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there are, you know, probably lessons from that time that I even teach now. Um, and those go from, you know, everything from the softer skills and how to work in an office and how to work in a team and sort of navigate sometimes the, the hierarchical nature of, of law um, to things like, you know, don't don't walk into a room without the ability to take notes. Yeah. You know, yeah. just just small things. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, it's it's a it's a great foundation. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you have ended up specialising in real estate. Um, I'm interested to know what attracted you to that. And, and if you could give us a bit of, I guess, a bit of colour about what a real estate lawyer typically does. Sure. I liked how tangible it was. I got to work on some inspiring property developments for some great clients during my real estate seat. And then I did a seat immediately after that in real estate finance. So I got to see the sort of the finance side of, of, um, of dealing with assets. And it just felt like a very natural fit. I, what do I do in, in, in practice? I think generally real estate lawyers, it, it very much depends on where you practice because in some firms, a real estate lawyer might be assigned to like a few large landowning clients and you might spend a significant proportion of your practice time dealing with those clients. Um, some people deal with developments from start to finish and they could be working on those developments for many, many years. I think that in, in my practice, I advise on the sort of full life cycle of commercial real estate investment. Mm -hmm. That ranges from, you know, buying and selling property or property owning corporate structures to re-gearing their rental income streams, acting on real estate finance matters. Uh, my client base are largely private equity funds, lenders, alternative capital providers, and I tend to deal with the more complex aspects of, of real estate. Um, but my mix of real estate and real estate finance backgrounds has afforded me a, a, a really um, quite fantastic mix on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm very lucky that uh, I get to sort of have the variety in my in my day and my weeks that that I do, and I, I also carry out a variety of pro bono work. Mm which again is is I consider part of my of my everyday practice yeah well the, well thank you for giving us such a a great answer about you know um the types of clients you have and and also that they it can very much depend on the firm that you're training at and that you work at as to where a real estate lawyer will, will fit into to the practice and what you end up specializing in um you mentioned pro bono work there and I know that that's something that's really important to you so tell us a little bit about 
about what, what you get involved with on a pro bono basis, Jade? My pro bono practice involves dealing with my actual practice area, so land law. Mm -hmm. I work for a lot of charities in relation to their premises requirements and relates to things like acting for them on their leases through to sometimes charities you know we, we develop some buildings so I apply my everyday practice area to pro bono but I also carry out pro bono which is outside of my practice area because I lead a um, initiative here called Kids in Need of Defence Right. Uh, initiative where we act for children who are making citizenship applications um, in Britain. Mm -hmm. And those children um, usually need their citizenship regularised because they may have come to the UK um, as babies. They may have been born here, but their parents didn't have citizenship when they were born. So there's a variety of different um, of different circumstances but we uh, lead that project here so uh, I also work for Emerging Enterprises which is a project that provides legal assistance to startups or um, charities in um, Africa, uh, Asia and the Caribbean so a variety of pro bono projects in other countries. I mean, that's just great to hear that someone at partner level is is able to do that type of work actually because I think maybe the assumption wrongly I, I think is that partners are just focusing on the fee earning work and, and running their teams but you it sounds like you get a lot from the pro bono work as well professionally do I assume personally as well? Uh, very much so I actually don't consider that I would ever practice without doing pro bono work. Right that's I great to hear. It, I consider it as part of my, you know, my daily to-do list. And I'm very fortunate in that now I can be instrumental in, in choosing new pro bono projects that we would like to support or um, seeking out pro bono um, uh, initiatives to help shape what that looks like. So I'm on the pro bono committee here. So I... I'm very fortunate I'm able to do it from that level, but fundamentally, um, I think actually a lot of lawyers become lawyers because they like helping people. Yeah. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, the skills that I have are very transferable. We spend most of our days surrounded by highly intellectual people. And I think that, you know, there is a, there's a reason why doctors and lawyers are put on a pedestal in, when it comes to career choices. And I wouldn't practice without without practicing pro bono. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing what you're getting. It sounds fascinating, the work that you do. Um, now, I know, Jade, that you are someone who regularly interviews on behalf of Sidley. And it won't surprise you that Anytime we talk about interviews or what people look for, um, our listeners definitely find that really helpful. So what's your advice for our listeners as they prepare for assessment centres they might be going through at the moment or they might be thinking about um, applying in the future? You know, as someone who, I guess, has that hiring power, which, you know, students need to um, get a bit of an insight about what, what, what it is that you look for and, 
any advice you can give them? I think don't underestimate the time needed for preparation. The legal industry is very fortunate in that it attracts some really exceptional people. Competition is very strong. Um, so you need to come to an interview with, frankly, truly convincing answers to the type of questions that most firms ask, as well as being able to show yourself off, but without being arrogant. There are, you know, to get into the city, to get into a, a position where you make it through to an interview process, you know, there are obviously your academics are stellar. That, that, there are certain things that, that go with getting through that process. I think that they're having an understanding that um, a significant amount of partner time is dedicated to the recruitment of future trainees. Mm. Um, that's true here at Sidley. I, I have no doubt it's true at many other law firms as well. Trainees for any firm are a significant investment. Um, after all, training contracts come with law school fees paid, living allowances. So the investment into your career starts actually years before you even start working um, within the law firm and, and, and turning up each day, etc. So I think treat that with the gravitas it deserves. Um, so, you know, the, the, the preparation, the preparation is key. I personally can always tell someone who's truly prepared versus somebody who isn't and sort of giving a stock answer, no matter what law firm happens to be interviewing them. It may, it may not seem that that's the case, but once you, after you've interviewed people over the course of many years, you, you really, you really can. And, I think also, you know, don't be put off listing non-law work experience. The practice of law requires excellent interpersonal skills. Um, I love, for example, seeing where some people have done, you know, retail work or or something that is feels very different to what it is that you're applying for. But you being able to explain to me how you've dealt with disgruntled retail customers is is great because it it shows me how it is that you um think critically um in in a what is otherwise quite a, a, a pressured situation mm -hmm. and showing that you're able to do that outside of the law means that it gives me confidence that we're able to do it within the law yeah yeah I, I mean, I thank you so much for making that last point. And I promise our listeners that I didn't ask you to do that um, because I, I totally with you from my recruitment days. You can often understand an individual more by hearing about what they've done, which isn't legally related, actually, what they how they've spent their time, how they've dealt with issues. And, and retail is a very transferable um, option for students to get involved with. And, and those skills, as you say, that they come into into the world of law and that service industry which effectively law firms are you know professional services um coming on to our final couple of questions jade and i i want to talk about law care which for those of you who don't know um is the mental health well-being charity for the legal community and i know you're involved with it so can you tell us a little bit about how you're involved with it and and why law care 
is part of your um, of your commitment. Sure. I've been a peer supporter for Law Care for about 19 years now. So again, sort of, I suppose, goes hand in hand with my pro bono in considering it part of my, my career. Uh, I got involved because uh, I saw it at an advert in the Law Society Gazette asking for volunteer counsellors. I was a, a trainee at the time. And I'd had personal experience of going through a few courses of talking therapy myself, mm. actually during my, my university years. And when I saw the advert, I recall thinking what a great idea it was for those within the legal industry to be available for their peers. Uh, Law Care was started over 25 years ago now, um, providing free of charge, safe, uh, confidential environment to talk for anybody working within the law. Why did, do I think that's important? Well, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer in the city, but I didn't come from a family who've had that career before me. And in the early years of my career, sometimes I found it quite difficult to explain to my mum, for example, why I was regularly working like till the early hours of the morning. Mm. And the empathy that peer supporters provide is invaluable. And the callers that we have who then may go on to be allocated to a peer supporter find it comforting and reassuring to know that the person that you're speaking with really truly understands the demands of the industry. Mm. And I consider it part of my career to help facilitate that charity. Um, without the peer supporters, the, the charity wouldn't be able to offer the type of service that it does. And mm. you're as a peer supporter, you're 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 matched with somebody who you feel that you know you can you can assist with. And sometimes just having that that one conversation um, in in a way to, to hear about potential action points or um, similar situations that you've heard of or that you may have experienced yourself um, can truly make a difference to somebody's um, well-being and their morale. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant charity and quite rightly has been, um, you know, I've, I've certainly read more about it more regularly now, which is which is great for everybody to uh, to find out about them. Um, Jade, our final question, and I will let you get back to your no doubt very busy um, workload that you have. Um, what's the best careers advice you have received and how did you act on it? The best careers advice I received was probably honest, open conversations with a mentor that I had early in my career. She used to speak openly to me about the hurdles and the rewards of a career in the law in the city. I think when you're starting out, it can be difficult to see the path through the different stages. Yeah. 
having people who you can relate to um, and where those people are being open and honest with you about their own experiences is the key to maintaining talent. There is, um, I think, a, a tendency, particularly among women, to think that hard work and dedication automatically gets you rewarded, but that cannot always be the case. And so you need supporters during your career. Um, and of course, one of them is yourself. So I consider it, frankly, to be my duty to act on um, the advice that I was given by just continuing to do what I was very lucky to be on the receiving end of, which is open and honest conversations. You know, the, the path doesn't need to be opaque. And I'm, you know, just too glad to be to be able to speak to you today as part of that commitment. And generally, I think the, the path forward is, is for more people to be open and um, to, to talk more about not just their own path, but the different ways to get through um, sometimes can be challenging times. Um, and, and frankly, life events that, that happen throughout your career, whether or not you're in private practice or in-house or you're no longer a lawyer. So I, I think that uh, having having those people be um, accessible to those starting out and through the different points in their career re really is very important. Well, what a, what a great note to end on, and I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, before we let you go, though, Jade, I just want to remind our listeners that we'll be back soon with another episode of Let's Talk Law. But in the meantime, and on behalf of our listeners, thank you so much for joining me today. It really has been fascinating hearing about your time at King's, your how you've built your practice, what you get involved in from your pro bono work and um, and law care as well. And, and just hearing, you know, the advice that you have um, with the benefit of hindsight that you have now and passing that on to the next generation of um, legal professionals. So thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you very much.